Looky there. Now we got the star of the show. That one Aww. right there. You can bark at her. She's evil. He's actually, he, he wears on. Look. He's cool. Yeah. Aw. <laughs> Heaven a Lift Off podcast. My name is Sue Ann Hang, and with me is my co-host Jerry Fultz, Jelly Farts, as I like to call him. And he's the best nickname. My ever. sister calling no, me. My sister's calling me that now. I had to explain to her the origin of it. Yes, brilliant. It is the best nickname for Jerry, and a most accurate nickname, actually, too. You are Balls, a Jelly Fart. Come on, help me out here. <laughs> You're a Jelly Fart. <laughs> It is Gina. how Michelle Wee's parents uh, pronounced my you, name, being listen, of Asian descent and you know, and having struggling what? with the American pronunciation of L's and R's. Willie Balls knows better to not get involved in this dynamic relationship that we have. Riri, it's I'm trying to. Yeah, dynamic. Please don't. Dynamic. Please don't try. Okay. Dyna- <laughs> Please don't. Uh, don't even go there. Don't even go there. Um, we have a special guest joining us today. Take a wild guess. I don't think my T-shirt's giving it away. Is it? Oh, no. I don't know, maybe. I don't know. No. No. Um. Anyways, really excited for that. But in the meantime, jelly farts. Let's talk about Pooj. David Let's talk Pouge. about it. David. Yeah, he won the David. He won the uh, Malaysian Open and he qualified for the Open Championship. This was his second Asian Tour win in the last five months. Yes, but yes, he's, he, he can't he's play a seventy-two holes. Yeah, no, it must have no. been an exhibition. Yeah, yeah an and, and no, they can't make the cut. They can't play. No, well, there have been there have been, and... I believe, uh, reported on the Twitter, so it must be official. There have been three events that were open championship qualifying events, uh, mm-hmm. and all three have been won by live golf players: uh, Dean Bramester, uh, Waco Neiman, and David Pooge. And That's he made right. the cut on the number and what 18, 18 birdies balls on the weekend or something like that. Yeah, 62-62 with 18 birdies, 18 pars. No bogeys. Yeah, no bogeys. He That's is impressive. um I know we talked about him a little bit, but he is he is truly an impressive young player. Um you know, in some ways, you know, on live because there are so many big names, you don't really look at someone like David Puj. I mean, we've obviously seen some brilliance from him last season when he was on Torque. Uh but even then, you know, that because we do have so many great big names on on the league, someone like him, you don't it often gets overlooked, right? But he is yeah. an impressive player and he hits the ball a flipping long way. He does and it's, he weighs it, about he's about your weight, so soaking wet. As I well, think like he might be lighter pounds. than me. He might be lighter than me. <laughs> Um, he, uh, you know what? When he signed, when he oh, when he was in that, I think he was in the very first live event in London. I think he played as an amateur, if I'm not mistaken. He hadn't even yet turned pro because I had just yeah. got done watching him play on TV. I think Karen was covering at the NCAA's out in Scottsdale, and uh, and all of a sudden he shows up, and I'm like, this is strange. But both he and Chikara turned quite a few heads when they both ultimately signed with Live, um, because. You know, not only did we have a number of the biggest names in the game sign with us initially or shortly thereafter, we had the biggest, brightest, some of the biggest, brightest talent coming out of college signing with us. And that really, I think that really got people, uh, opened a lot of eyes to that this is a in, indeed a uh, pretty cool pathway. Now, I know we had Caleb Surratt on last week, and he is beyond impressive. But I remember talking to an agent in Miami at the end of 02, so our eighth event. And he, mm-hmm. uh, he 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 knows and deals with a lot of college players who are going to turn pro, helps them out with the NIL and this and that. And he goes, you wouldn't believe the number of them that are looking to live as the goal now. Now, obviously, there's not room for everybody. And and we got really lucky to get Surratt. And I think he feels fortunate to be part of live. But a lot of them view it as now a legitimate, not alternative, but goal to start their career. And I think, you know, it won't be that long now, in my opinion, until all the other mess is behind us and, and the majors 
don't pay attention to the world golf rankings anymore and actually promote their best field. So pretty exciting. He, I think he kind of led the way in that, in that conversation. Yeah. I mean, if you, you know, I know last week Caleb talked about how much he's already grown just playing two events, right. Uh, with live and being a part of John Rahm's team. I, I think you can certainly tell from Pooja's way that he plays and how he's grown as a player as well. He's young. He's like what? 21. Yeah. He's the youngest player. Maybe? Oh, no. He's yeah, well, now Caleb now. is, but yeah. now he's the second youngest, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But anyways, he has Alberto Sanchez on the bag, who's basically a teammate of John Rahm's, right, at ASU? Yeah, and, so. and I, yeah, yeah. and um, I think now David actually does a lot of practice with John as well in Arizona, so um, like really that. cool stuff, yeah. So now yeah. we do have 13 players playing in the Open Championship, really fun, we, uh, you already Name three of them. So there's Moronk, uh, Cam Smith, DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Mickelson, Oosthuizen, Stenson, Terrell Hatton, Terrell Hatton, pardon me, and John Robb. Um, yeah. Exciting stuff. I can't wait to get the major then, season started. And then a number of other guys who, at least for this year, are going to go through the qualifying process, uh, which we didn't yes. see a ton of last year, but we, we will see more of this year. I know Sergio tried and a few others. Sergio, but, yeah. 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 Caleb's going to try. And they're all going to do their part to play by the existing infrastructure ecosystem, if you will, and uh, continue to, you know, like we keep doing over and over with Liv, keep showing the world what we're about and and not worrying about all the other stuff that it entails because the players can't worry about it. They just go out and play great golf. I think last year's majors were proof of that. Brooks Kepka notably. And then the off season mm -hmm. this year with Burmester, Oosthuizen, uh, yeah. Joaquin, Waco. and now Pooj. Yeah. yeah, doing yeah. what they've done. It just, it, if that doesn't open eyes, then, I, then, you know, I don't think you really are even looking for the daylight. Yeah. Well, Jerry, we just, uh, the PGA Tour just wrapped up Genesis. Uh, a few stories there, obviously Hideki winning after two years. That was, you know, always a good, good one to watch. Um, but obviously one of the biggest, um, stories was, was Tiger on a golf cart heading back to the clubhouse, um, due to an injury. Um, it's always, it's always tough. It's always tough watching Tiger go through that yeah you know, this one so much. this one was uh, reportedly he even said it he released a statement that it was a flu so it was a sickness um a lot of guys got it i guess tom kim almost missed his tea time because he was uh having some issues uh and jordan spieth got dq'd because he had to run out of the scoring tent. didn't you know all he essentially by the rules of golf all he had to do was say i have an emergency i'll be right back as soon as i can he would have been fine but he didn't signed it after bogey in the last hole had to get to the bathroom a lot of guys were dealing with it much like we had in mexico um and it's yeah. it sucks watching tiger at this stage of his career when the, the so much of the curiosity about watching him play golf is um how's he how's he walking how's he swinging how, is he gonna finish is he gonna play 36 holes because there's been so many mm -hmm. dqs uh, not dqs but wds uh, since he has uh, come back from the injury and even before that from previous injuries. And it's, it, it's unfortunate for his event. He's the host, unfortunate for Genesis, certainly unfortunate for the fans. Um, and, uh, but in the end, they got a, a worthy champion who played great golf on Sunday. Yeah. It's Hideki's always, I always root for Hideki, not because he's Asian and whatever, but you know, he's just, a good guy, you know, yeah. and it's so much respect for the game. And I think it does big things for golf in Japan, you know, and talk about growth of the game. Right. Um, yeah. He was when he won the masters. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I got, I, I bought the t-shirt. I think Barstool came up with it with the, almost a caricature of Shota bowing on the 18th green yeah. with the flag stick. I bought that t-shirt. Oh, you bought it? I need oh, to yeah, buy it. I, that was that was yeah. such a moment. I think it certainly was my top five favorite moments in golf yeah. ever. And that was awesome of that camera guy. I know they have a million cameras there, but awesome of that camera guy to stay on him and the people in the tape machines to keep that rolling of, of a caddy replacing a flag. And that became the yeah. most iconic moment uh, of that Masters. Uh, I'll remember that forever. Yeah. Well, we wish Tiger all the best. Hope he feels better. And uh, I am looking forward to watching him play the next one. Yes, so, whatever that may be. We all are. We're all fans of golf. Whatever that may be.
All right. Well, it's time to let our special guest into our Zoom meeting. Uh, he is the captain of Crushes GC. I had the privilege to spend a little time with him in Vegas. He is none other than Mr. 58, Bryson DeChambeau. What's up, Bryson? How are you? I'm good. How y'all doing? Good, good. Are you in your new place yet or is that? Uh, it's a part of my new place. So this is like a secondary quarters. Secondary, secondary. quarters. You're single. You're single, yeah. right? Yeah, I am. And you got secondary I guess that's kind of like a are. subtle jab uh, to everybody else. <laughs> I don't mean that in any way, but. More specifically <laughs> me, because I'm in Singapore in a house that's about 800 square feet. So your second there? quarter. Um, it is nine in the morning. Oh, that's not bad. So you're tomorrow. You're in, you're in tomorrow land. I am. I am. Yes. To the next day land. Yeah. I've no, time traveled ahead of yeah. you guys. Basically. Yeah. It's funny. I actually <laughs> have a time travel story real quickly on, uh, my birthday when I was turning 21, I was in Japan, uh, Karuizawa number 72 for the world amateur and we won and we were flying back on the 16th. Uh, well, fifth night of the 15th, it, it became the 16th on the airplane. So I turned 21 on the airplane. And then when I landed in Atlanta, I turned back to being 20 until later that night. <laughs> so I turned 21 twice, which is kind of a funny thing. What, but isn't turned, that great though? You got to celebrate it twice. I did get celebrated twice. Actually. It was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> Two more years. I'll have turned 21 funny. three times. Well, that's not, uh, yeah. I'm not there yet. <laughs> so um, by the way, do you like my t-shirt? I love it. Oh, right? She's great. She's yeah. such a suck up. Oh, such a suck up. I know, right? What's the Europe yeah. bags doing behind you? What? Uh, Karen, you, you know, Karen oh, yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's my, my love of my life. Oh, so beautiful. she, uh, she's followed you before yeah. actually. Yeah. Those are her, uh, Solheim cup. Bags. That's right. That's right. That's cool. That's awesome. Talk about the trophy. Talk, the, the, talk about the trophy sucking shelf. up. Jesus Christ. The, yeah. <laughs> trophy shelf in our house is not a fair fight. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, cool. Well, um, let's do this thing. Jerry, you want to lead take the it? way? You no, lead you lead. Way. You lead. All right. I'll oh, lead the way. Uh, I can lead. First of all, <laughs> not, you lead. Bryson, you, yeah, lead. you lead. Jerry, what do you think Turn about uh, what's Liv, what Liv has got going on? And Sue Ann, what, what, what is your new experience with some commentators on board? And Come on, give me your, your best interpretation of the year and what do you think it's going to mean for the Live Golf League uh, moving forward over the next couple of years? And how do you intend to impact the league in a positive way? It's wow. fucking awesome. <laughs> Our, jobs well, are safe. <laughs> Our jobs are safe if that was an audition. <laughs> I'll let you go. Uh, what do you think? Brilliant. What do you think? Uh, what do you think about the league, Bryson? Seriously. Oh, and then to, to, to start the official questions, what do you start? What, do you, what are your goals personally and for the league also? Oh, wow. Well, I'd start with the league at first. I was talking to, um, I would say numerous people uh, back in 2020 about this idea. And we didn't really know what this was going to be. PGL, SLG, just, just different type of variations of it and different people coming in, into play. And we didn't really know what this, this would be or mean. And as time went on, you know, talking with Phil and, and DJ and Brooks, trying to come up with a solution for the game of golf and, um, you know, it, it took a lot of pressure um, for us to get over, for us to go, all right, you know what, we're we're comfortable making this type of uh, commitment and jump. It, it took a lot for us to to make that, that jump. Ultimately, we know in the long run, this is going to be an amazing product for the game of golf globally and what we can do globally in regards to bringing everybody back together at some point. Uh, not only back together, but creating more value in the game of golf um, and building more assets for the game of golf. That's one thing that I believe is underrated. And how do I say it? It's an understated approach that we have to this aspect of the game uh, in this business. And what I mean by that is like building out infrastructure, you know, potentially building golf courses, um, which I think a few teams are looking into doing. Uh, building out some academies, doing that. And, and all this stuff takes time. This is not like it's an easy flip of the switch sort of thing. This idea of Live Golf has been going on for quite a while now. 
started back with Greg Norman and uh, we've always heard on the PGA tour when I was on the PGA tour, little uh, whispers of things all the time. We never thought anything would happen, but as uh, HE came to the table and the PIF came to the table and we're very serious about it, we all said, okay, this is real. How can we uh, be a part of it and how do we maximize it and grow the game in a unique, different way? Albeit some people do not think that way as of right now, over the course of time, I truly do believe with our endearing efforts to continue this, uh, progress that we have been making globally, people will eventually see the light at the end of the tunnel of what we're trying to do. And I'm excited for that. That's one thing that I can't wait to do with the crushers, whether it be in India, over in the UK, in Arizona, Florida, Texas, anywhere in the world that uh, people want the crushers, we want to be and we want to help grow the game of golf. And that's going to start out with some academies. It's going to start out with event or eventually create a golf course at some point, partner with someone. We don't know necessarily what that looks, looks like. Um, and then having a chari charitable aspect attached to it, which is what we're developing and creating as well in conjunction. I know the Majestics already have that, the Little Sticks, which is really cool. And they're going to continue to go down that route. And we're going to be able to provide some pretty cool opportunities for others that uh, are more or less struggling to get into the game. Because it is an expensive game and we don't want uh, that to be a stopping point for a lot of individuals. So that's just kind of what, what it is initially. Uh, then my goals I'll just keep it quite uh, simple <laughs> compared to the last uh, answer. <laughs> I, I'd say winning a bunch of tournaments and growing the game from 100 million uh, golfers as it currently all the way up to 150. And if we can go beyond, that's fantastic. That's ultimately what I want for the game of golf is to continue to grow it because it is awesome how we're able to develop character, um, integrity honor all of those principles and characteristics that bring out a positive human interaction that's just the way I, I look at it positive characteristic traits of human beings that we can all come together and we can agree upon uh one thing you know it's in this in this day and age it's tough to to come uh to terms and figure stuff out currently look at the golf landscape right and there's a lot of people with a lot of um egos right now. And, and I'd say that death to egos is possibly the most empowering thing we could have in today's day and age in this game. If we can have that, I think a lot more gets done in a positive way. But unfortunately, it's just kind of the way it is right now in the current situation. But one day that death to egos will occur. And I can't wait for that. Well, death what do you think? That sounds, yeah. like a, that sounds like a bumper sticker. I like it. I know. <laughs> I love it. I actually. know. Yeah. Uh, that that applies to broadcasters as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah. <laughs> Look, uh, no, uh, yes, especially you guys. No, I'm kidding. Yes. <laughs> no, but but in, but in all seriousness, I think everybody has to take a step back and go, okay, where are we all sitting? What are we trying to accomplish? And how do we accomplish it together rather than mm -hmm. apart? Yeah. And if we can it say is. those three questions and answer those three questions effectively, we're on our way to growing the game and bringing it back together in a, in a very cool way. Yeah. Um, part of the how you grow the game is how much content you actually pump up. It's a part of know. it. Ridiculous. That is it's a part of it. We, we and, and, and the millions of views that you get on your YouTube yeah. channel. I um I was on the treadmill yesterday, and so I watched a couple of episodes of yeah. of your series. I think I went all the way back to one of the older ones when you had yeah. this. You were still building your place. I think it was just absolutely like bare, and you had a couple of things. I think you were playing at the Byron Nelson that week. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, man, yeah. that was a long time ago. That a week was on a long time ago. Original video, yeah, 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 yeah. But it that was, was just the so video that caused a lot of problems, by the way. <laughs> really? In what way? Oh, yes, D digital media rights. Ah, that was what spurred right. a lot of problems with the uh, other side, and right, they didn't uh, like the fact that I was utilizing uh, on course footage that we acquired that I had my guys acquire. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. I wish that, and it's becoming a lot more lenient, which is fantastic. I think that's the way that both the league and the tour need to move in order to stay relevant and also help grow the game. Uh, we're moving into a unique dynamic nowadays and people don't truly understand that look, broadcast is still fantastic. It is still relevant, but I think there's another niche that we can tackle that can help grow uh, this game in a, in a younger way. And that comes through different platforms, whether it be a bit of streaming, 
whether it be a bit of uh, YouTube, whether it be a bit of individual channels on different websites that have a massive following, it, it doesn't really matter. I think the most important thing is looking at the situation holistically and saying, how do we gather as many people and bring them in together to see this product? I think that is the ultimate goal with this because ultimately what we all want is eyeballs. And it's great that we have all this social media presence, but how do we create you know, a following that truly cares and wants to be a part of it and continues to aspire to be out uh, uh, in the Live Golf League and want to be on the Crushers or whatever team? I think that is the thought process we kind of have to have now compared to just the normal, let's just go through the ranks and hopefully I get on the PGA Tour. And if not, I'm going to play in the Latin America Tour or Canadian, uh, you know, or go to the Asian Tour International you know, Series. Or And that's what's so great about Live too is the ability to go either one way or the other way. And it doesn't really matter. Um, you're still going to get to the top, top of the game on either side of the coin now. I mean, you've got John Rahm, Dustin Brooks, Cam, myself, and the likes of many others on live that pull a decent amount of, of weight in the public eye. And I think that's fantastic. And as we continue to improve our product, um, I hope that the same thing occurs with the tour and eventually come to a place where we can come back together in, in, in a cool way. Um, you know, I, I, I'll say this, I love live and I don't think I would really want to play uh, on the PGA tour and uh, would I love to play in some events for sure. I'd love to help out the communities. That is something I've always wanted to do, whether it be the Shriners where I've won or Arnold Palmer or uh, Jack Nicholas's event, just supporting those communities is something I'm uh, massively a fan of, uh, as well as going globally with Live Golf and playing across the globe and inspiring a younger generation and others to, to pick up a golf club and go hit some golf balls. Um, so again, it's I don't know where I'm necessarily going with that, but I think it just shows you the state of the game is so jumbled that my thoughts are kind of widespread about all of it right now. And I hope that we can, again, come back together um, from a from a YouTube side of the coin too. just bringing in like other platforms to say, hey, how can we holistically bring all this in and create more eyeballs to the sport? Because it is unfortunately declining a little bit and we, we've got to create a ramp back up. Yeah, absolutely. Was... Now, speaking of your YouTube channel, I, I wanted to ask because I think Jerry of all amongst the three of us i think he needs the most help with social media but i need some help as well so help us out and share what are some of the keys or maybe even secrets to being a successful content creator like yourself and and being able to get those eyeballs i mean you have millions and millions of views well, on your on your it, you know yeah channel it's strategic i mean we didn't just throw it together and Hope that it works. Like there's been a huge plan for a long period of time since 2020. Um, I brought in some people to try and do some video work for me and um, things have switched and moved, moved around, but eventually I've found somewhat of a formula and this has been behind the scenes for a long time. I, it's not something that just came about last year and oh my gosh, here we were having success. You know, I wasn't posting when I was struggling. Like they're, they're, it's strategic. Everything's pretty strategic. Um, cause I was trying to figure out my game. Like the most important thing was figuring out my game. And then once I got to a place where I was like, okay, I can produce content now. I've got more time. I don't have to worry about that stuff as much. Uh, it then allowed me to free flow out and start collaborating with content creators and seeing the success of whether it be good, good, or Bob does sports or, uh, Grant Horvat, Micah, uh, GM golf, like whatever channel it is. That's been an eye opener to me from the analytics side of the coin. I've really gone deep into some of the analytics as well as my team behind the the coin. Um, you know, I, I, I work with a agency called AKA Collective, and and they have greatly enhanced, as well as being friends, they, they've greatly enhanced my ability uh, to showcase who I truly am. Because in 2020, the media's you know, viewpoint on me was was quite a bit different than who I know I am. And that's the frustrate that was the frustrating piece that I had. And that's ultimately why I started all this. I said, look, you know what? I want people to see me for who I truly am and what I'm doing behind the, the scene and how much I care about growing the game and how much I care about inspiring junior golfers. So ultimately they just got to a point where I said, um, I need to take this in-house and figure out how to decentralize it a bit. And uh 
bring bring a little bit of the power back in, in my side of the course so that I could start providing the narrative <laughs> that I know is true. Yeah. Do, yeah. Well, it's, it's, think... it's super fun watching it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I, I guess so. I watched your uh, one club challenge with Sergio. I love that. That was fun. Oh, yeah. A lot of fun. It's so funny. Yeah. I wanted to play nine holes with him. <laughs> he wanted to play <laughs> one club. I'm like, dude, I'm telling you, the nine holes with you is going to get so many more views. But it, it was okay. We had a great time. And he kicked my butt. And I played terrible. I was swinging it bad that day. And uh, he showed me as a Spaniard can with their hands and how to control the golf ball uh, a little bit more. I like the one with Phil. I think the Phil bash. was my favorite. Yeah. That's my favorite, I think. <laughs> um, no, playing a playing a one club challenge with a Spaniard who pro who learned a lot oh, of shots sure. from Seve, just not a wise, yeah, not a wise. No, nope, no. Nope. He, <laughs> he should have played hey. me like that uh, in the Ryder Cup. Probably would have done a little bit better, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, talking about uh, social media, and Suzanne's right. I'm a I'm a dinosaur. I'm a relic. I have I talked to a lot of people who only watch live digitally, even when it's available uh, on their TV, because that's that's all they watch. That, I mean, my stepson, a couple doors down, he doesn't he never watches a TV channel ever yeah. watches a TV channel. Yeah. Everything's on YouTube. Everything's online with the advent of content creation, whatever the hell that means. And and social <laughs> media. Do you think, given you know, a dinosaur comes from a generation where the reporter or the commentator always got the last word, now the players are able to, as you choose your own words, drive your own narrative. Do you think that has changed the the, the landscape, the way you guys are viewed personally and collectively as a as a profession? I, I think it should. I think it should open the doors to truth a little bit better. Um, doesn't mean that. You know, broadcasters have done that uh, all the time in the past. They've sometimes over amplified some people, right, compared to what some people know behind closed doors. So it's not really saying it's the right or wrong answer. It's just another way. And, you know, going back to it's not easy to do what we're doing over here. I mean, you have to have not only the right content, but you need to have the ability to produce it as well. There's a huge strate strategic play to how to produce content. And that's what I think a lot of people miss is it's a lot of just pump out massive amounts of social media, but it's difficult to get that engagement and that loyal following because of certain things that uh, are not thought of. And I'm not going to give it here because it's very strategic on our end. And the reason why we're doing it, um, one, the most important thing is so that people can understand what I'm, what I'm doing. And, and two, we want to continue to have them engage so they can see who I am truthfully. This isn't a mm -hmm. this isn't some fake play. This is this is legitimately like who I am and what I'm trying to accomplish for the game of golf. That is there's no, nothing more to say other than that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. you know, I think one of the things I think you are our first player that agreed to get mic'd up for the entire yeah. round. Um, and exactly. the packages that we got from that. Yes. Yeah, uh, yes. All three rounds were yep. fascinating. Yep. And, and even when I struggled and played bad the last, the last day, like I was not happy. You could obviously tell. And we were, that's yeah, we were something gonna that you're going to be able to see. So it's the yeah. reality. It's, it, it's not reality TV. It's the reality, actual reality. Right. And so, yeah. you know, these fans are going to have a way closer relationship with me because they're right up next, next to me every single second of the day through YouTube or through other platforms. And I think that's yeah. crucial and huge. And you're going to start to see, and that's why I think a lot of players are afraid to do it because they don't truly want them to know necessarily who they are. Right. And I'm like, nah, come bring it in. Like, this is who I am. That's just, you know, you obviously heard everything and you guys have seen everything from the rounds that I played. And yeah, I get very frustrated. And there are times where I'm not happy. There are times where I'm like, oh, that was sick. That was awesome. And so you get to truly see what somebody's, doing out there compared to sometimes what's been delivered in a way to shape a certain type of narrative for whatever strategic reason that, that others have anyway. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you think that some of those guys who say they don't, you know, they don't really feel comfortable with letting people in to see who they really are. Don't you think there are some of them, I can think of a few on live right now who, who the, the, the viewer doesn't really know because they don't do much social media and they don't, they, they live their life kind of insular uh, and they're yeah. not exactly older guys either. Um, I think that if, if they just 
let people know who they are. They would see the side of them that I see. You see a different yeah, side yeah. of them. And I mean, Joanne does. That is extremely likable. Yeah, extremely exactly. Likable. And, and I'll give you two examples. Cam Smith and Dustin Johnson. Yeah. I mean, they're completely different. Well, not completely different. They are different when they're talking to me as a competitor. Uh, you see who they truly are. Like Cam Smith cares so much about how he performs. But it doesn't necessarily show. He seems a lot, lot, lot lighthearted and fun and correct. And so, you know, seeing that side, sometimes I don't know necessarily, but sometimes that could be scary to them because they're like, I, I want them to know who I am in that way. Right. And, and DJ's a really good dude. Like, you know, as much as people give him a hard time, like he's a good dude. He cares about being the best he possibly can be. Yeah, he loves fishing, but he's a good dude, you know, and um John Rom, super passionate. Another one of those guys. Yeah. Very smart. He's a super passionate Spaniard that's incredibly smart uh, and savvy and understands, by the way, he he does understand the content side of the coin. And that's strategic play. Um, but, you know, at a certain point in time, it's uh, it's not easy to do it. I'll say this. It, it's <laughs> I don't know how to get this across more other than it's very difficult to accomplish. And you got to have the right team around you to be able to do it effectively. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, I was as as I was watching your YouTube episodes, I started thinking because I was watching, and you were in the house with your friends. You had a whole bunch of friends at your. Oh, place. which video was this? This was the the one that I that got. Oh, oh, oh week on tour. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So many of your friends in the house. You're just you know just doing what a normal person would do, and I love. Like you said, it just shows the real you shows what you do in your off time. What do you do? You know, when you had a shitty day on the golf course, you went to go take a look at your house and get your mind off all that stuff. And I think that was so awesome because I think a lot of people can relate to that. It doesn't matter if you play golf or you don't play golf. Everyone has bad days. Right. And everyone needs a kind of an outlet to forget about it. But it did occur to me at the time. I was like, what? would Bryson be doing if he didn't play golf? Like, what would you be doing if you wow. weren't a professional golfer? Well, I was sitting there going, just there's so many fascinating, you're so, such a fascinating human being. And I'm sitting there going, what would he do if he didn't play golf? Man, uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, first off, I know this, I'd probably be playing ping pong or something. I love ping pong. <laughs> you do have you do have that ball I'm, machine that's in your uh, house. That was, I've always that was been super super competitive, and also I love being the best version of myself. So I know it would be something around health, uh, sports, anything that relates to improvement. So you know whether it's sports uh, kinesiology or something like that, or uh, ping pong, or uh, even if I played another sport, uh, totally possible. Physics major, learning more about the world around me, learning more about myself. Um, which I've kind of done already. Uh, my body has changed tremendously throughout the years and gotten to a place where I'm really happy and comfortable and in a place where I feel healthy for the first time in a long, long time and just stable in that health. When you talk about the commitment to wanting, to, always wanting to be the best version of yourself, and it certainly sounds like you've been that way your whole life. Was that come from more from your mom, Jan, or, or dad, John? <laughs> uh, I'll say that it, it came from... If if I can be completely transparent here, it came from a lot of people saying I couldn't do anything with my life. So it was a lot of people saying, you're never going to be good at golf with that swing. You're not going to be as athletic as you think you can be. You have Oshkosh Slaughter's in knees. You're never going to be able to run. You're never going to be able to walk for long, long periods of time. Um, failing a lot in my own right, just not accomplishing what I think I can do. And then having to sit in a room by myself and go, am I going to keep going? You know, a lot of persever- personal perseverance and transforming my brain on my own to say, no, I'm not going to accept this failure. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do this. So it was a lot of uh, personal. And look, my mom and dad had a huge impact and pushing me. My dad was very resistant to a lot of the things that I wanted to try and do to get better. And a lot of the times he was right, but I just had to go through that process of failing to know what was right. And so I actually applaud him for pushing me on those things to help me go down the right path. 
but it also pushed me in a direction where I could learn quickly what was right and what was wrong. So if he didn't have this, like, oh, kind of do whatever, no, you know, I probably wouldn't have gone down as many roads. But because he was so persistent on one uh, type of thought process, I would do the complete opposite and then get kicked in the butt and then learn, okay, yeah, you're right. Okay, cool. And there were some things that I was right on too. And it wasn't ever a bad thing. It was more of a back and forth sort of thing. So I got to thank my mom and my dad for that um, passion that they had for me and my life. How far, how far back uh, you talked about those people telling you that you can't do it and you, oh. you, you know, you're never going to be athletic. How far back does that go? No, I mean, when did that start? We, when I was a young kid, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It was a long that, time ago. A junior I, golfer type thing? I always remember people uh, telling me that, no, you can't win this tournament because it's your first tournament you've ever entered. And I went and won it. Like just, mm-hmm. I, I'd hear from other, other parents and other kids just subtly like they'd be like oh he's not gonna do anything oh it's not a big i just hear it out of the corner as i was walking away or whatever they but they weren't trying to be mean about it they're just telling their their kid like oh you know don't worry about him or whether it was soccer baseball it's funny in baseball i was in third grade i believe and they put me up to like sixth grade level because i was pretty solid hitting a ball and i uh, could field pretty well and there's a kid throwing like a 55 mile an hour pitch at me. I went from like a coach's pitch, to like a kid throwing 55 miles an hour. And I almost got hit by the ball and it freaked me out enough to where I was like, okay, I'm good with that. But I was never afraid to, to try things and go beyond my limits. And I think that's what uh, has suited me super well. And I've been scared of a lot of things. Like I was super scared of heights growing up. My dad made me push through it. So that's one of the things that people don't know is I went on the second tallest roller coaster in the world back in the nineties it was in Vegas. It was in Prim, Nevada, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that yellow, tall, super tall one. It was like a big, yeah. like, it may have been the second biggest in the country. I don't know exactly what it was, but I was definitely not tall to ride that ride. <laughs> and my dad put me <laughs> on it. And uh, as I was going over the top, I actually lost my breath because I was so freaked out. I was like, <gasps> I was hyperventilating. I was actually kind of slipping out a little bit of the seat. And I was like holding onto the seat. Oh, my God. And my dad was like, it's okay. You're good. You're good. No big deal. So <laughs> yeah, I got to thank my dad. I was not happy about that one bit after. My did, mom was, did it work? Are you, are you uh, not afraid of heights anymore? No, I'm I'm fine now. I still I was afraid of heights for a long time. I'll oh, tell you. You're talking about after that roller coaster ride. You're you're terrible. Oh, I was I was messed up for a long time. So I got to think. So how did you get over it though? How did you get? How did over I get it? over it? Just being in the situation long enough, and then and then how did I get over it? Uh, funny enough, realizing you can only control what you can control, and you got to stay in your own bubble and realize the space that you're in. And once I realized the space that I was in and I can just control what I'm at, it doesn't matter where I'm at. It could be a million feet in the air or whatever. You know, I could be wherever. It doesn't matter. And there's a lot of golf, like just getting into a bubble in my own uh, environment so that nobody could affect me under high pressure situations. And that was the same thing when I took it to every application in life. Once I realized that in, on tour. Would you skydive you were, now? Yes. <laughs> I wanted to skydive. Uh, I tried to oh in Boston God. two years ago, but legally I couldn't. Dude, it's awesome. Team, dude, terrible. It's Wait, awesome. I got we got your agent listening in over here, and a few other people on your team. Brett, uh, <laughs> dude, dude, just I mean, come on, just talk some sense into the guy. <laughs> you don't want to go skydiving. <laughs> yeah. I, do I it. it is literally oh the best God. thing ever. It is the best. One it's day. the most. It's the. It's. Uh, it's. Literally I actually want to go to space more than skydive. If I'm being honest. Now that I, I that would not surprise me. I would want to go to the moon. Like I would legit go if, if if there was a way to go to the moon in the next like three years, I'd prep for it. I'd totally do it. There's that's not gonna surprise a soul that you no, no, it shouldn't. <laughs> I mean, I'm, a, I'm crazy in that regard, <laughs> in a good way, I hope. <laughs> now you were you say you were told you couldn't do things, but you fought through. I mean, when you when you when you won what the U.S. Amateur Division One College uh, individual NCAA's and U.S. Amateur in the same year, yeah, in the same year. I think you you're and, the fifth player, right? Fifth, fifth player, player to, to do that, and yeah. yeah, and then to uh, to do that with the U.S. Open in your career, only Jack and Tiger have done that. You've yep. done things 
that a lot of people told you you couldn't do, even when you were a standout amateur golfer, even when you turned pro, you can't hit irons the same length. You'll never be any good. Your wedge right. game's always going to suck because your wedges That's are right. too long. You can't use grips that big. You just can't yeah. do it. You can't learn to put on that much more speed, overpower a golf course, and not right. lose your short game. You won the U.S. Open by six shots. It wasn't all with the driver. It was a really hot putter that week, too. Um, where does that shot 58 last year, too? Yes, yes, I know. I remember that. <laughs> it was incredible. Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, where does that? Where does that? I, I just. Greg Norman once told me, and this goes way back. Uh, it, it didn't tell me, but he told a meeting full of players on uh, the Australian tour in 1988 or 89. He basically said the difference between me and you guys is you think you can do it. I know I can do it. I believe in myself. Self-belief is the one thing you just cannot teach in the game. You can teach all the technique in the world. Can't teach someone to believe in themselves. Where did that conviction come from? Has that always been a part of your DNA? You know, it's funny. It came from me failing a lot. And being comfortable failing. And a very uncomfortable feeling, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, for most, it's very uncomfortable. But for me, and, and yeah, it sucks. I get mad. I get frustrated. But at the end of the day, when I fail, at nine, I'm able to go, how can I improve? How can I make that never happen again? I think that's what sets me apart. So in every situation, when somebody tells me, you can't do this, I'm like, yeah, I can. And then I don't do it. I go, okay, how do I, how do I change something to make it happen? So it's through a lot of iteration. I fail as quickly and as often as I can, making sure that I'll learn from those mistakes, obviously, to improve myself. That's just how I do it. Well, with that said, um, for the young people who might be listening in or watching this on YouTube or on our Live Golf Plus app, would that be the advice you would give to young people? Actually, now? if if they're come, yes, hundred percent. If oh look, there's a failure that you can't obviously come back from. Making sure you don't fail that hard, uh, but failing enough to be like, man, this really sucks. I don't like this, and having a support system around you. You go, no, you can do it. It's okay. It's okay. Let's figure out how to get it done. Let's ask the right questions. I think that's the most important thing I can tell any junior out there, anybody out there that's uh, listening to, to this is if you can ask the right question when you fail, you are 50% of the way towards success and towards winning. The other 50% is just doing it. What What are some of the, the right questions? Well, it depends on the situation. It doesn't, yeah. it's not one question for one, uh, for, for everything. It's, it's a question for one thing. So for example, let's say you go fail and uh, you fail in a playoff. You don't, you don't win a playoff in a tournament. I'm just giving a weird example. You ask yourself, why didn't I play that whole well? And then you can go down the list of, well, it was because I didn't hit my tee shot right, or I didn't hit my wedge shot right, or I didn't calculate this into it, or I didn't adjust for this. Or And so it's a lot of iteration and going, okay, what's the next question? What's the next question? What What is the actual problem that's going on that's leading to this continual failure or to this failure, specific failure? And so you can ask, there's plenty of questions that you can ask, and it could be anything in life, you know, that I can go... Why did I feel terrible this morning? Why did my stomach ache this morning? Well, it's because I ate pancakes this morning or whatever it is. And you go try to go down the road and figure it out. So the most important thing when failing is asking the right question. And it may not necessarily be the right question right off the bat. But if you continue to ask and you go through all the possibilities, you'll eventually come up with the right answer. You guys, you, you've won, what, eight times on the PGA Tour, twice on Live, once in Europe, uh, once on the... Yeah, well, three what, times on Live, we won the team championship. Three times, yeah, individually, Jerry. I'm talking about. Individually, that. I'm talking about because ultimately, you know as well as anybody, you're going to be judged in the history books by your performance in major championships. You've won yep. one. You won. You were the only player to finish under par wing foot the year you won. Um yep. And that was the COVID year too, right? 2020. That was. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, is your confidence heading into the major season now, which is just around the corner, is your confidence higher than it was in the last couple of years? It's higher than it's probably ever been, but I don't want to put expectation levels on myself. There's no need to. Um, I've got equipment that really works very well for me. And I'm in a place with the equipment that allows me to showcase my full skill set. And there's a couple of tweaks with the swing that are going to happen every once in a while. But for the most part, I can compete anywhere and everywhere now. 
And I'm excited to showcase that ability because I haven't really had that since I've played professional golf. I mean, there were a couple of times where I felt pretty good, but I just couldn't put all four rounds together uh, for whatever reason it was and whatever situation it was. Now that I've got a better handle on my equipment, I really feel like I can compete every single week and week in and week out. Doesn't matter if it's a live event, doesn't matter if it's a major. I feel like everywhere I can win. What's, Let's what? talk about the OWGR because I want to hear your thoughts about that. I'm sure you have <laughs> a few. Um, yeah. I think Greg tweeted something and it, it, he said it's laughable. Liv would have two players in the top 50 OWGR if you exclude recent signees and your name is not in the top 50 of the OWGR, which blows my mind. Um, just purely watching the way you've played, especially in the last seven, eight months. Yeah. Um, it is laughable that you're not the top 50 player in the world. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I have words that I would love to say, but you can't <laughs> about it. They say, oh, they haven't done said one thing or the other. Not doing anything is, is deciding. And that's frustrating. You know, they um, said you need certain requirements. We have fulfilled all those requirements despite what everybody thinks. If you go look at their handbook, we have fulfilled every single uh, criteria. It's been over two years now. What's going on, guys? Um, mm -hmm. You know, and so it's a bit frustrating, but nothing we can do at this moment is we uh, showcase ourselves in the major championships. There's no way they can keep us out. We just got to play with the majors. I, and once we do, yeah. they, they have well, no choice. I say we, as though I'm a player, we did that last year. Um, I, I don't think the OWGR matters anymore. Honestly, I, I, the conversation, if they started giving live players points now, it would be, well, they're so far be behind. they never catch back up. Right. They're, they're just, they've, they've won that battle. As a, as a bargaining chip, the PJ Tour has. And by the way, that. we and knew that. Everyone on our side knew that going into this. That is exa exactly talk what about they were going to do. Exactly what that. they were going to do. Well, I'll talk yeah. about it. I mean, we all knew. We all knew that well, that was their right. that was their uh, leverage point. That's the right. leverage they had. It's the it's the majors. It's those associations that have the leverage and they want golf to be a certain way. And you know what? Ultimately, they don't decide. It's the players right. that ultimately decide. Because if we all stopped playing, we all said, nah, we're good. We don't need to play. What do you think would happen? Then? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, the fans suffer from all that, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's, again, the most important thing. It's right? the thing that I come back to most. <laughs> yeah. I started off this, this uh, podcast. I said, the death to egos is what needs to occur on all sides. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if that can happen, I think that's... Um, that's a step in the right direction for the game of golf. Well, I'm yeah. firmly convinced because I have a huge belief in people. I have huge belief in institutions that the four majors, uh, if not this year, I, I think some one or two will break away this year and then it'll be, it'll all be over. They'll figure out their own way to guarantee that which their institutions yeah. covet and, and above look, all else. And that is to guarantee the best field they can get and they'll figure out a way to do it. It's exactly. not that difficult. Exactly. Yeah. And and look, you could take the, the top 10 or 12 points uh, or, or money earners or points earners on uh, live golf. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there, there is a way around it, right? There is yeah. a way but around it. it. Yeah. There is a way around it, but it takes away, like Bryson says, it takes away their one last remaining bargaining chip yeah. leverage tool. And we wanted to play ball. Everybody wanted to play ball last year. When everything went down, they started talking and negotiating. It's taken a, quite a bit of time again to yeah. try to figure things out. And we're in February. It's going to be a, almost a year now and a couple of months since that um, definitive agreement came about. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm personally excited to see where the game goes. I hope that everybody has the right intentions. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the same for us, you know, um, yeah. especially as golf fans, I think at the very least, we hope that they would make the right decisions. Right. Uh, speaking of the majors, you already won the U S open. Mm -hmm. What's the next one? like that you have your eyes on, like, obviously you want to win all of them. I get it. But like, which is the other one that you. Yeah. I've, I've always wanted to win to the masters. Um, ever since I was an amateur. And before that, when I was growing up watching tiger chip in on 16, I really kind of sold it for me. I was like, okay, this is the next event I want to win and the prestige behind it. And 
the air around it. And then when I saw Augusta's and experienced the people there and uh, the pro shop, um, the the people in the pro shop work through the head pros that are there. Uh, fantastic. Everybody's just, just great. And I certainly love coming back there every single year. And um, I believe I'm going to get it done one of these days. It's just a matter of time and continued hard work and uh, learning from my failures. I think you'll look good in a green jacket. <laughs> I think it didn't shave to, a little might, bit, but you know, that, they, might have yeah. to, they might have to fit the, the guns and everything yeah. for the, Hopefully. all your muscles. There. Yeah, I mean, it would be the most jacked, you know, green jacket winner. That'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> just think of the content you would, because you get to keep it for a year. Just think of the oh content my gosh. Oh, geez. Remember Tiger uh, at Thanksgiving, him wearing the green jacket at Thanksgiving or something like that? Yeah. yeah. Or whatever he did, he had the yeah. trophy and this, like that sort of, that that would be cool yeah. just to do stuff like that. That'd be fun. I remember yeah. P, what was P Reed was at like a, a drive through at one or two in the morning in his green jacket Probably. Sunday night. Yeah. That sounds like yeah, P Reed. Yeah, That's it does. Like <laughs> I have one, one, one last question. I, I wanted to ask you about your mom and your dad, because I, I mean, but I don't want to get you emotional. So as you know, your dad and I, we, we, I said we were college teammates. We called each other college teammates. He actually had finished his eligibility before I transferred to Arizona. John DeChambeau. He mm. was an extremely long, long ball striker. I got to play with him a few times. Yeah. I wasn't short as a kid, but he was really long. How yeah. old were you the first time you actually could get it out past him? Uh. It was probably like 15 that I could do it every once in a while. Cause he was starting to get older then. Yeah. He was, he was uh, 50 at that point. And no offense. No offense. That, that might hurt. That may hurt. Yeah. I'm sorry. Between you and Gooch, I just, uh, I might as well. Yeah. Put on the depends right now. Well, you could add Gooch's age to my age up and we wouldn't hit you, but no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't, don't hurt me. <laughs> but no, that was the first time that I was able to kind of hit it, hit, hit it past. It was like 14 or 15 type time frame. And uh, it was funny. I I I, tr I trained to hit it far, but it was unique techniques. It was never like in the gym originally. It was like taking a broom and going through a field and just sweeping as hard as I could through it, keeping like you know flat left wrist and extension and just like all that sort of fun stuff. And so I learned how to gain speed naturally through uh, hitting through grass and through a bunker as hard as I could, and and just doing alternative techniques. And they're, they're great ways to do it. That's you know, you don't have to just go to the gym and uh, go in there and get muscular because bodybuilders don't, they never hit it far. You need that swing technique. And I think going through like a big field of grass and swinging through that can help gain you some speed if you don't have any other tools or tricks in, in the bag. Um, but uh, that's kind of what I did. I don't know. Growing how up. do your dad, how do your dad react to that? When uh, he, first outgrow yeah, I mean, Proud. well, I remember when I first beat him and he, he was just, he was not happy actually. He was like, gosh, dang it. My son actually beat me. I'm, I'm never letting that happen again is what he said. And then I continued to beat him after that. So, <laughs> um, but no, he was actually a very good putter. That's the thing that was very underrated with him. I remember he used this weird ping looking putter and I was not a great putter growing up and he would always beat me. He would just make putts after make putts. And I, I, I couldn't believe him. He have a 12 footer and just knock it right in. Like it was nothing. I'm like, how are you doing that? I don't know. I can't do that. I'm so nervous. Over it. I can't. And he just had his feel with him and he didn't know how to explain it very well, but he, he, he tried. And ultimately I found something that worked for me, but uh, that was actually the most impressive thing that he had uh, was his, his putting. He was an unbelievable putter and I envied him. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're going to, we're going to wrap it up and I'm going to ask you one final question. Okay. You've been through a lot, I think in the last few years, um, you know, no, nothing at all. Of, it's been yeah. super simple and streamlined and easy and uh, all that. Nothing, nothing crazy. <laughs> what have you learned about yourself the most in the last few years? I know it sounds kind of corny and somewhat cliche, but what I started off with the death to egos is, is probably one of the most important things in life in general, especially nowadays. Um, there's so many people that have a belief or position or this is what it has to be or has to be like this or I don't want to talk to you or this is ridiculous. And you know, th their attitude goes out through the roof real quick. Um, and a lot of that's ego driven and self-centeredness driven. And I think that's a really poor way to live life. I think there's 
look, everybody gets mad. Everybody gets frustrated. I still get mad. I get mad at the people around me. I get mad um, at someone else. Oh, it doesn't matter. It just, but always coming back to the world that was created was created with people that were the same level as you beforehand. Like everybody had egos beforehand. Everybody did things in a certain way. So don't think you're revolutionary or crazy or, or, or cool and, and new fresh um, compared to the people that lived beforehand. Don't think you're, you're so much better or whatnot than everybody else. Cause there's a lot of smart people that have come up before you. And I think going through life where it's got to be this way or the highway is a, is a, is a very difficult way to go through life. And you hurt a lot of people. And I fully transparently believe that the death to egos is the thing that helps us come back together. Um, for example, why have people on my team that are older than me is because they're a lot wiser than me. And I wanted that input. And so what I mean by death to egos is that, yeah, I'm a captain, but these guys that I have around me are a lot smarter than me and I'm willing to lean on them because they understand the world that's going on and from a different lens. And so why I say death to egos is because you can look at life through multiple lenses and gain an opportunity to see life in a unique way that hasn't previously been seen before, because there's a lot of amazing info out there. And I think that's important. And in solidifying all this, what I've learned the most, you have to let yourself look through different lenses and be okay with others' perspective and accumulate it and be able to look through the lens that you see fit based on what you've you've brought in death to egos is like a super important thing well that's some very very good advice i think i think i'm gonna get a hat dte i like it i mean i love it that's a great way to end it that's great <laughs> sage advice seriously yeah. um I've, i know sue i will say goodbye to you officially for the podcast but thanks for your time dude seriously letting us peel back the layers and letting people i mean i know you're old pro at it but I think seeing a side of you that they don't ever get to see with us knuckleheads asking you questions. Thanks. That's great. I had a, I had a great time. I yeah. appreciate it. And that's the whole point is um, this podcast and, and podcasts alike and the different places I go, uh, go on. I hope people can continue to see uh, what we're all trying to create. It's not just me. Like I said, <laughs> that the egos, it's not just me. It's uh, you interviewing me and, and Sue Ann interviewing and, and everybody coming together to figure this thing out and help grow the game. Yeah, Bryson, thank you so much. That's some great stuff. Um, so much for other people to learn. And and thank you for showing us the real you. You know, thank you yeah. for being fearless and 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 you just know, just having no ego, like you said, and, and just showing who you are as a as a real person. So we appreciate it. Appreciate cool. the transparency. And uh yeah, we'll let you go and have a good night. Thank you. Uh, and we'll see you in a few days in Jeddah. That's right. Yeah. See you soon. Can't wait for it. Yes. Here Safe guys. travels, man. Take it easy. Bye. Wow. That was uh that was that was pretty awesome. And I, I you know what I appreciate the most about him, and I gotta spend some time with him during hang time. He is so transparent. And and it takes, like he he mentioned, it takes, you know, really being not comfortable, but in some ways you're comfortable with who you really are and to to show that to i mean he's got millions right i think he's got like 800,000 followers on his youtube page and so to be able to to show that and show vulnerabilities and and all that stuff i i think it's it's absolutely just brilliant the cool part to me is he He's always been true to himself. He didn't, when he turned pro, there was a lot of jealousy out there because of number one, what he accomplished. Number two, some of the stuff he would say about what he wanted to accomplish came across a little, you know, a little cocky. And uh, mm -hmm. and the 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 establishment sometimes didn't really, you know, embrace him. And they there was a lot of fun poked at him and a lot of people who thought he's anything but genuine. Um, the, the thing that is really cool to me is he hasn't changed since then till now but you just know we we know him a lot better now and, and you realize that was what made him what he is today is being yeah. he was always genuine he always wore his heart on his sleeve he yeah i mean if he's pissed off you're gonna know it if he's happy yeah. you're gonna know it but uh yeah and, and look he there, got there's so nothing much shit fake about being... him there's nothing fake about him 
Yeah. I mean, he got so much shit for being different, right? He did everything yeah. different oh, yeah. um, at yeah. the time, you know, and, and still does. But I think people are just a bit more accepting of, of his methods and, and his mindsets and stuff. But at the time, I mean, he was getting a lot of crap, you know, and, and I don't know, like you said, it's just that that is why I think what he's doing with his socials is such a great thing because that gives people an insight into yeah. into him and, and not be yeah. misunderstood. Right. So, um, yeah, no. Wow. That was. Yeah. Well, his, you know, talk about was... being different. His, his pursuit of different uh, of distance basically changed the professional game. You know, you got the yeah. Scott Fawcett decade system. He was the first guy to really go out there and say, I'm going to put on a ton more yardage. Hopefully I can keep him in the fairway, but if not, um, the closer I get it to the green, no matter where I hit it, I'm going to be better off. And now, everybody from i mean from the time they learn how to lace their shoes is now all they're taught is to hit it as far as you can hit it as close to the green as you can be damned with getting it in the fairway um he changed the yeah. professional game quite a bit single-handedly yeah i mean just watching him play now it's it's such a, a different game he plays yeah. a different game just like you know he has five wedges in his bag right it's just yeah well that's just that's a technicality it, it though. just says it is a technicality, but yeah. still, even then, though, like he hits, you know, hits his drive, just hits it as hard as he can, right? And you just, he just wedges in, you know. Yep. And yep. it's, it's a different game. Anyway, um, thank you for joining us on our podcast. Uh, if you like the podcast, please do subscribe, and you can find us wherever you get your podcast. And if you'd like to catch this on video, uh, you can catch it on our Live Golf Plus streaming app as well as our YouTube Live Golf channel. Um, I guess I'll see you in Jeddah, uh, Jerry Folds, Jelly Farts. Yes, I'm going to come up with a very, <laughs> shove that thing in your nostrils. Uh, yes, I'll see you in Jeddah. <laughs> I can't wait, Sue and Hang. Um, and we should, do we have, we don't have our own YouTube channel, do we? See, now I'm all into this content thing. Got no, it's it's we, well, we're on our live golf YouTube. Oh, channel. okay. All right, I'm gonna start a YouTube yeah, channel. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what that means, but yeah, all right. I would love to watch that entire process unfold and just <laughs> I'm how surrounded clueless by you kids. would ever, how clueless you would be. Um, anyways, yeah, we'll see you in Jeddah. Safe travels, and yeah. uh, yeah. We'll need me to bring anything the from the oh. states? Uh, no, okay. No. Yeah. Bye. Um, bye. Bye. <laughs>